Don't forget the ketchup. It's Nescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library with a few pit stops along the way. We play them briefly. We judge them harshly. We rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. And this is a playing with power episode. We have come to the end of May of 1993. We are now entering June of 1993. And it is time for us to talk about the Nintendo Power issue that came out in that month. That's right. It's June. It's uh it's time for a Battletoads extravaganza. Yep. In in case you needed one of those in your life right now, there's a lot of Battletoads in this issue. And yet it's, it's all kind of it's all kind of the same, you know, it might also be somehow the least interesting thing in this. Yeah. In this magazine. Oh, boy. I feel like this is pretty much the height of them trying to really dig in on Battletoads and like sell it as like this great franchise. Partially, this isn't working for me because I've been inoculated by having actually played the Battletoads games. I just feel like this is too much. And like two of the three games that they're going to talk about in this issue for Battletoads are uh, are kind of the same game. <laughs> so like it's uh, it's it's a weird one. It's not the only thing going on here, but it is what's on the cover. It is featured very prominently with a big spread pretty soon into the magazine. I will say it's not what I would have spent this much space on if I was planning a magazine. But I'm also not trying to sell Battletoads to kids. So what do I know? I think, you know, the big problem with Battletoads, I mean, you know, the, the first game came out on the NES. It was a big deal. It looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it really stands out, I think, the in the library of NES games. But it was also, like, frustratingly difficult. And most people... Most kids never made it past the Turbo Tunnel to really get to explore more of what was in the game. And I think instead of, like, taking what worked about Battletoads and retooling it into something different, they just kept trying to make the same damn game over and over again. They sure did. And I don't know why. I don't get it either. Like, they could have just made sequels to Battletoads. They didn't need to do, like, a Game Boy demake of it and also a, like, upgraded sort of, you know, director's cut of Battletoads for the Super Nintendo. It's it's just strange. Because, um, yeah, like, I feel like if you really get down to it, even though there's quite a few Battletoads games, really there's only, like, three. It's weird. Uh, and I feel like it, in a lot of ways, does kind of just double down on, like, the parts of Battletoads that actually nobody really liked very much. Like the Turbo Tunnel. The Turbo Tunnel is in so many of these games, and it's never good. It's always an absolute nightmare. But because of its prominence in the game and the fact that it was pretty much like the stopping point for most people, it's kind of the the thing most people remember about Battletoads. And uh, it kind of sucks for Battletoads, honestly. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We will have plenty of time to talk Toads. Sure will. Before we get into the magazine proper, though, we should probably turn things over to the uh, pimple to our rash and zits. Newsy, the... Tell us about what was going on in June of 1993. Oh, no. Did he get kidnapped again? No, no. Actually, I think in this this time around, it was Rash. That, no, it's Zitz that gets kidnapped. So I got kidnapped or you got kidnapped? I don't, I don't know which one of us is Zitz and which one of us is Rash. I don't know. I have no idea. They're all kind of the same. We'll, we'll let Newsy figure it out. Newsy, uh, uh, take it away. 
1993. After claiming the number one spot in May, Janet Jackson will hold the number one spot on this Hot 100 all through June and well into July with That's the Way Love Goes. Jurassic Park opens and just goes on to make all of the money, just a, a T-Rex-sized bag of money. And in retaliation for an attempted assassination on former President George H.W. Bush two months prior, President Clinton orders a missile attack on a building believed to be housing the Iraqi intelligence service in Baghdad. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. Thank you, Newsy. Uh, Janet Jackson, I don't, I don't think it's the first time we've talked about her. She was blowing up the charts in the early 90s, for sure. I've heard this song. It's fine. It's not one of her better ones, I don't think, to me at least. But yeah, it's it's all right. It's a good pop song. And then uh, Jurassic Park, a little known movie. I'm not sure uh, how many of our listeners would remember that one. But no, it really, it really did kind of lose the dinosaur uh, movie mindshare war to the Mario movie that came out around the same time. That's probably why nobody really remembers Jurassic Park very much. It's getting lost in the mix with your adventures in Dinosaur City and your... Uh, Theodore Rex. Yeah, yeah. It was tough competing in the dinosaur movie market around that time. It, it really was. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, Jurassic Park is a movie I really like, and it has not made a sequel that I have liked or have even been all that interested in seeing. I, I'll admit, I haven't seen most of the sequels to Jurassic Park. I have seen most of the sequels to Jurassic Park, and you're really not missing much. They are all bad in different ways. Jurassic Park, though, great movie. Uh, love it. Uh, absolutely was there. Uh, opening day to see it. It was a huge breakthrough for special effects. And honestly, a lot of those special effects hold up way better than stuff that was made for like, you know, most of the rest of the 90s. Yeah, it's actually amazing how good those dinosaurs still look in that movie, which, okay, I have to share a, a quick anecdote here that's just very funny, even funnier in hindsight. I had an art teacher in middle school who said she hated the movie Jurassic Park because, quote, she could see the zippers. That's really funny. And then, um, yeah, some po other political stuff happened. And, uh, you know, we uh, our our president ordered a missile attack in the Middle East, which I'm sure we only targeted absolutely the correct bad people and no one innocent was hurt. And that we really, really cared about collateral damage and all that because. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We're so good at that and everything. Yep. Anyway, speaking of uh, disasters, let's look at this cover here. No, OK, that's not fair. Yeah, um, this cover is not as bad, I will say, uh, as the the poster, the Battletoads Double Dragon poster from, I guess, the last issue or was it the issue before last? Oh, uh, I can't remember. We'll actually see that image again kind of formatted differently later on in the magazine. But yeah, this cover is OK. The anatomy on the Battletoad is not good, but uh, at least he's like, I can see like where his arms and legs are. And uh, Billy or Jimmy fighting a pig man in the background is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's a weird pose that this battle toad is, is striking for us here. I, I, I guess that's rash because of the sunglasses. But. Yeah, it's the sunglasses. That's his defining thing is, is the sunglasses. He's like kicking towards the camera. And he's got his arms back in a weird way. I guess they're trying to mimic like the, the pose he takes in the game when you when you kick and like his foot gets really big it's really strange to see him pose this way like, i don't really know what's going on with like his other leg like the one that's not kicking it looks like he's maybe kind of like on point or something <laughs> with it it's really weird 
Yeah, it is very strange, and it's it's not the most flattering artwork of a battle toad that that has ever graced the cover. Is there flattering art of a battle toad though? I will say, like this isn't their first big battle toads issue. When the original battle toads came out on the NES, they even had like a battle toad comic that was sort of I think like kind of, kind of scattered throughout that issue. I would have to go back and look at that cover again. I just have to think, you know, like with with an entire comic dedicated to the Battletoads in one of their issues, there has to be a good image of the Toads in there somewhere, right? You're right. I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. So we've got a couple of franchises here. We got um, B.O.B., which is something we'll be talking about before too long. Uh, Looks like, you know, kind of an all right run and gun sort of game. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that one, actually. Like, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to We'll be playing that one pretty soon, I think. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, maybe the next episode. So uh, I hope it's good. It seems like it could be based on what they talk about here with it. Uh, we also got a few things that we have talked about already. Uh, Tasmania and Super Casino Games. So Super Casino Games is actually like a little feature here where they, they, they go through two different uh, casino games, one of which is Vegas Stakes. The other one is, I think, Super Caesar's Palace. Yes, you are correct. Which we have not played that one. Uh, we got Yoshi's Cookie, which, you know, we'll be talking about before too long in, in some future episode. Mm-hmm. So we've got Battletoads and Battle Maniacs, which is a weird name. And then the, the, the Battletoad train continues on Game Boy with Battletoads in Ragnarok's World, which I think is a more or less just a remake of the NES game, but ported down to Game Boy size. We've got yeah. a sequel to Bubble Bobble. We've got something called Titus the Fox. And uh, we've got a raging fighter over here. We sure do. we got to watch out for him. He's raging. And then uh, more Battletoads on the NES with Battletoads and Double Dragon. We've got uh, the puzzle platformer Fire and Ice. We've got some hockey. We've got stuff for Father's Day, which uh, we'll get to that. Yeah, we will. <laughs> But anyway, we, we open, as always, with Player's Pulse. We've got a few people writing in saying, hey, I, I don't like things. Like, we got Steve over here, who doesn't seem to like the Star Fox comic very much or thinks it's too long. I guess he's in luck, because this is going to be the last one. We'll we'll get to that. And um, we got a few things here. So this is the thing that I, I they're not making a big deal about it here, but I do think it's kind of cool, I guess. A couple of the other letters here are from people talking about playing uh, Nintendo games with their daughters. Which is cool. Yeah, that is cool. So there's a picture of a very excited little girl getting her Super Nintendo for Christmas. Uh, kind of a little bit of a predecessor to the N64 kid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> very cute picture. And then a, a guy talking about um, uh, playing The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past with his with his daughter and how it taught her uh, some good problem-solving skills, which is very cool. Got somebody asking about... Uh, whether there's going to be a sequel to Final Fights, and some kids who built Ganon's Tower from uh, Legend of Zelda out of, uh, I don't know, Lego? Not Lego. Something. They built a model of it, and it's pretty cool looking. Oh, uh, somebody asking about a Mario Paint Player's Guide. Is that going to happen? And it, it, it would happen. Um, I, I actually still have a copy, I think, or maybe I just have it digitally now. I'm not sure if I actually still have the physical copy of it, but yeah, I bought it back in the day, really liked it, tried to recreate a lot of things from it. Um, you know, I, I played a lot of Mario Paint back in the day. We got, uh, oh, uh, some players poll contest winners uh, getting to meet DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince of uh, Bel-Air. Well, no, I guess just the Fresh Prince. Or... Just the Fresh Prince, but on the set of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. 
DJ Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith. Yeah, Will Smith was really popular in the 90s. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess he went on to do a few other things after that. I'm not saying that the other Players Pulse contest winners have had chump change or anything for uh, for the things they won. But yeah, getting to meet Will Smith and then uh, go to the Universal Studios theme park in California actually seems like a better one than, than most of the other ones here. Good for these kids. And then uh, we also have a little message from Gail Tilden, the uh, EIC, who kind of talking a little bit about um, how Nintendo Power doesn't always get to review things uh, before other publications do. And kind of, you know, trying to diplomatically talk about how their hands are tied by the fact that they are completely subservient to Nintendo. And Uh it's not their job to leak stuff. It's their job to keep Nintendo secrets. And (laughs) that makes them kind of a not great journalistic uh, publication. And we'll get into a little bit more of that later on in this issue. (laughs) Mm, We sure will. Yeah. But uh, hey. This place is weird, says Bob. He sure says that. He's a kind of weird looking guy, too. He's cute, actually. I like the way Bob looks. He's a robot with a pretty cute design. Yeah, he's got kind of noodly arms and big, you know, cartoony eyes. And he looks like somebody actually enjoyed drawing him here, which is nice. I think this is the image of Bob from the cover of the game. You know, he's almost got a look that feels reminiscent of like a character out of the Toe Jam and Earl universe. He kind of does. The concept here for for Bob's game uh, is a little novel. He's like a robot teenager trying to get his hands on a car so he can go on a date and yeah uh that is going to result in bob having to kill a lot of other robots or aliens or whatever this is our first major game feature here in the in the issue it's for it's for the super nintendo game bob is that what we're supposed to be doing bob um yeah i'm not sure if it's supposed to be bob or if it's just bob i've just been calling him bob also, B.O.B. is that rapper that's now a flat earther, so we should probably Ooh. try to separate ourselves from that a little bit here. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure Bob has seen his share of round planets and could, could you know, give a stern talking to to, to Mr. B.O.B. I'm sure he set him straight, yeah. We get some nice-looking maps of levels, as is the Nintendo Power way. Uh, we also get what I do think are Nintendo Power... Um, artist drawn pictures of Bob on some of the other pages. Uh, you know, his, his style has been kind of flattened out a bit there. <laughs> Speaking of things that are flat, <laughs> but uh, it still looks good though. Yeah, this game looks all right. You know, sometimes when I, I look at the like level layouts for upcoming games in Nintendo Power, I'm like, oh boy, I don't think I'm going to enjoy playing this very much. But uh, this one here, I kind of think that the level layouts, they seem neat to me. They seem like they're pretty logical and like there's like a good progression in them. You know, this actually, I feel like the first time in a little while that Nintendo Power has gotten to do one of these in, in this format, where they've just got like the nice big put together from screenshots map of a, a good solid platform game level where they can point out where all the power-ups are, where all the hazards are, and I like seeing this again. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think if Battletoads hadn't been an established franchise already that just happened to have enough games coming out that they could, you know, group them into one issue, I think Bob might have ended up on the cover of this one. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty true. Yeah. The gameplay almost makes me think that this might be a little bit like Super Turrican. You know, you got a guy who's who's got a, a number of weapons available to him, although the levels look much more streamlined than the Super Turrican levels they did. They do, yeah. Um, you know, and I will say, if I can go on a tangent about Super Turrican really fast, um, mm-hmm. after I went back and replayed some of that to get some screenshots for the cover of that episode, yeah. I was actually kind of feeling like I was too hard on that game, and that's one we might revisit in the future and, and maybe... Uh, give a, a more favorable rating to because I, I think you were much more hyped on that game than I was. Yeah, I thought that game was pretty good. Yeah, and in hindsight, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm not sure I gave this game a fair shake. I might have been a little too harsh. Well, we can look at that one again at some point in the future and see see what we think of it then. But uh, yeah, no, I, I thought Super Turrican. I had a good time with Super Turrican personally. Yeah, I, I did too my my third or so time around. Um, I don't know, did you have anything else to say about Bob? Not really. Um, mainly just that I, I appreciate we got a, a different, you know, kind of fun original illustration of Bob on each like two page spread. Uh, I, I like seeing Nintendo Power getting to to do this style of kind of game feature again. I hope he gets his car and gets to go on his date. You know, I, I don't know a whole lot about this one because it's not really a franchise that took off. No, I think this might be the only game, actually. I think I saw uh, a thing that said copyright Chris Gray Enterprises. I think that might be Gray Matter, which who, who we've talked about before. I think it might be. I, I'm not entirely sure if that's right or not. I, I'll Again, you know, when we get to Bob, we will uh, we will clarify all of that. But, you know, I do think it is a shame that he didn't get the cover because I, I think it's cool that they're sort of highlighting uh, this, you know, kind of unknown franchise or this new franchise, new potential franchise anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, especially if you look at like the other Super Nintendo stuff they highlight in this magazine, they're all more kind of well-known things than, than, than old Bob here. Now, speaking of which, we got Tasmania next, which... uh I think folks knew what Tasmania was around this time. We certainly know because we've already talked it about was, the game. It uh, was kind of frustrating, but a neat concept. And uh, they are definitely, you know, I think this is good material for them to work work with here in the magazine because it's a pretty unique type of game. There's not really much else like it. It allows them to do a different thing with these uh, kind of level layouts impossible for them to do kind of a screenshot map the way they usually do so instead we've got some kind of illustrations here of the general shape of these levels and some inset screenshots of different things in them just trying to kind of give you a a taste of what this game is uh while also not really highlighting any of the stuff that i found really not great about this game but of course they they wouldn't really be wanting to do that anyway this game is what they are describing here it's just a lot more annoying to actually play than i think you might expect without having actually gotten hands-on with it yeah it's it's another one of those neat idea i'm always happy to see you know somebody try and do something outside of just the hey we're going to turn this franchise into a 2d run and jump platform game but yeah it's 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 not the best, and it probably could have used... You know, I, I would have liked to have seen somebody else iterate on this kind of gameplay on the SNES, but I don't feel like we... I, I feel like this game probably didn't do very well and just, you know... Yeah, definitely. It, so nobody ever attempted anything quite like this again, which is a shame. But there's some fun Taz art in here. Uh, probably just official Warner Brothers art. So I like the Tasmania color scheme, so I like that that's getting splashed all over these pages here. 
Kind of surprised with the lack of yellow there, though. It's a land that's way under down under, and the sky is always yellow, whether rain or shine. So Yeah. In fact, in the the one shot I can see here on the first page of this, of the sky, uh, sky's pretty orange, gotta say. They were not listening to the theme song there, huh? But, no. But yeah, I, I do like all the drawings of the parts of the maps. I don't think these are the entire maps. I, I don't think they could be. I mean, they seem really small. I like the art there. It, kind of reminiscent of what they tried to do with the uh, Star Fox maps. Give you kind of like a, mm-hmm. an isometric sort of view of everything. That's all I got for uh, for Taz, though. I will say I, the game does not appear to be as long as I thought it was because they, they list all of the the acts here and the various stages in them. And uh, there's not actually that many of them, so... I don't know, maybe it just felt longer when we were playing them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't get far enough to see most of these, but, you know. Didgeridingo in Wendell Francis X. Bush lad is never on cool. Bushwacker Bob and his mother gold mom. Then next up, we've got uh, our Super Casino Games feature here. And uh, that has a page devoted to Vegas Stakes, which we played, and Super Caesar's Palace, uh, which we have yet to play. I'm not sure when Super Caesar's Palace is supposed to come up on our list, but uh, I I think these are pretty much the two casino games for the Super NES. I'm not sure if there are any others mm-hmm. that ever came out other than these two. So. I feel like there's quite a few casino games for the NES. So maybe that had just kind of faded out a little bit or like was pretty much just the purview of like computers at this point. I guess, you know, there was a casino in Super Mario RPG. So that's true. I think a couple of PGs for the system had casino games of some sort in them. Uh, As far as like games where you just play some casino games, uh, maybe there wasn't like that much of a market for it on the Super Nintendo. So the uh, Vegas stakes spread here. Uh, it's just like three pages long. It's pretty good. It's pretty honest about what the game is. Pictures of the various like people that you go to the casino with are not any better seeing them in the magazine here than they were in the game itself. Cliff just straight up looks like the Joker here. He sure does. He's got that really wide mouth. He kind of looks like the Jack Nicholson Joker when he's got like the makeup on to make his face look flesh toned. Yeah, yeah. It's not good. One thing I'm noticing here is uh, Super Caesar's Palace apparently has horse racing. You can bet on that's kind of interesting. Yeah, Super Caesar's Palace seems to have a few more games in it than Vegas Stakes. It's got Kino as well. It's it's got some some different kind of twists on things like it's got video poker. Horse racing seems like it would be an interesting thing to add on here. I don't know. I assume it's just betting on the horses, but yeah, that that doesn't seem super thrilling, but it's nice that it's there. I hope that you actually have to watch an entire virtual horse race for that. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about the game of Kino other than um, I remember the, the Missouri Lottery running some really weird commercials in the mid 90s to try and promote their Kino game. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I don't even really know what it is, honestly. Yeah. Well, I guess we will find out in the future. Yep. Uh, also... I just want to note here, three pages about Vegas stakes and one about Super Caesar's Palace. Yeah, which might just be because Super Caesar's Palace was still maybe in development around this time. That could be. Yeah, that could well be. 
they, they might go back to that one in the future when it's closer to coming out. Yeah. Or maybe they just said, hey, guys, we just need whatever you got because we're only running one thing about Super NES casino games and we're never talking about it again. So if you want to be featured in our magazine, right. you better just send us some screenshots, print them up as much as you can and <laughs> get them out there. Hey, you know what I like better than gambling? Cookie. Cookie. Yeah. Cookies are great. Yeah. Mm mm. Yoshi's cookie. Yeah, I don't know how good Yoshi's cookies are, but uh, they look pretty good. They look all right. They, they look well baked. You know, there's a few different kinds. Uh, there's, you know, the, the round ones with a little bit of jelly in the middle. There's heart shaped ones. There's a kind of a, a, a checkerboard cookie. Uh, so, yeah, you know. He got some cookies, that Yoshi. I don't know how much baking Yoshi's actually doing here, if he's just kind of like the mascot. You know, it's like like if somebody, like, named their, their coffee shop after their dog or something, you know? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Mar- Mario looks to be the one who's doing the baking. Mario really patting that resume. Another profession now. You know, he's just got to have, uh, he's got to have fallback, you know, irons in the fire in case, uh, <laughs> in case, in case either the plumbing or the princess saving or the doctoring doesn't really work out. Look, uh, participating in capitalism is not optional under a capitalist system. Let's go, rise and grind. <laughs> I'm a little bit upset by the fact that we have a little like a text box or like a word bubble from Yoshi here talking about his game. I don't think Yoshi should talk. I think he should just make the noises. Well, I mean, around this time, he still just made the, the, the zip noise that they did for, like, Super Mario World. And seeing a speech bubble coming out of him here makes me think of, like, the Super Mario World cartoon where he did talk. Wasn't he, like, a baby in that? He talked kind of like a baby. Like, he had the, the, the Elmo thing of always talking from the third person, which I don't like. Because it makes me think of Elmo, and I don't really like Elmo. Yeah, I don't like Elmo, yeah. But, uh, yeah, here he's all, like... Hey, Puzzle Munchers, you haven't lived until you've tried my first puzzle game for the Super NES, Yoshi's Cookie. What a great name. Hope you're hungry for a challenge. It's like, who the hell are you? (laughs) He's just like some guy in a Yoshi costume out for the, you know, like for the opening of Mario's Bakery. Hey there, kids. Look at me. I'm Yoshi over here. It's like, you're not Yoshi. You're just some guy in a Yoshi costume. Shut up. I'm Yoshi, kid. I have to be Krusty the Clown after this. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized that was very similar to my Krusty the Clown voice. It was good. It's good. Thank I you. liked it. There's a picture actually from the game here of Yoshi um, that where his head just looks enormous to me. And like, I don't know, like there's something weird going on with that one. Well, I think this is reminiscent of like the old style Yoshi, because I think Yoshi's kind of undergone a, a, a sort of a a rebrand he's got a, met- a bit of a metamorphosis he's got like real hands now which is kind of creepy there's that there's like the fact that like his saddle kind of became less of a saddle and more of a like like a shell that might actually be part of his body yeah 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 yoshi's undergone a little bit of a of a transformation uh since the super nes days so i do really like this picture of yoshi down in like the lower right hand corner of 49 where he's just like crushed under some cookies He's just like, he just looks really annoyed. It's like, ah, oh, man. Uh, but yeah, Yoshi, Yoshi's Cookie. Uh, it's, a, it's a puzzle game. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually played it. It's been on a few different systems, but I don't think I've ever actually touched it. Have you? I think I rented it once. Um, it, it's a, I remember it being a fine little puzzle game. It, you know, mm-hmm. it, kind of in a similar vein of like the, the 
Tetris attack slash Pokemon paneled upon yeah thing paddle yeah paneled upon basically yeah a little bit like that but a little bit different too so there were actually a surprising number of like Mario offshoot puzzle games at this time there's Yoshi's Cookie there was just Yoshi which was also a puzzle game uh there was Wario's Woods which would come later so so this is clearly a thing that's like oh yeah you know I got a puzzle game just put some Mario characters in it it'll be fine yeah I mean Sonic got Puyo Puyo so they had to get something else yeah that's true that's true and uh speaking of comparing Sonic and Mario yeah what have we got here on the next page so this is an article called Power You, which they describe as the first video versity where you can get the facts straight. Oh, you can get the facts straight, just period. Just I thought it was going to be straight from somebody, but no, they're talking as if, hey, this is the facts. This is the scientific facts. We did science in our lab and determined that the Super Nintendo is superior to the Genesis. Can you believe that? Can you believe that we, Nintendo, would just happen to make that discovery in our science lab? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a two page article here. Um, It sucks. Like it feels bad to read. It's also pretty interesting to see Nintendo being so defensive in like an official source like this. This is interesting because it is kind of part and parcel with like the whole like dueling ad campaigns of the console war era. But like, this is it stripped of anything that's like fun or jokey. This just feels like a really defensive op-ed basically uh, where Nintendo is, is basically just like straight up lying to, (laughs) to its audience of young kids about like what the like relative strengths and weaknesses of the super Nintendo are versus the Genesis, which, um, you know, the, the way this thing basically shakes out here is like, what are the super Nintendo's weaknesses? It doesn't have any. Everything about it is just better. And any any means of any way in which someone is trying to tell you that, like, the Sega Genesis can do something the Super Nintendo can't uh, is is just a, a lie. I mean, they're not really telling lies exactly. They're just kind of shaping the facts in a particular way. Exactly. Like, they're, they're taking real information and kind of putting it in a context that always makes a Nintendo look the best. There are limitations to the Super Nintendo hardware that the Genesis didn't have. The Genesis does have a faster CPU, and that does manifest into things like better experiences for games like side-scrolling shooters that, you know, we've talked about in the past how the Super NES really chugged on those. And I mean, that became less and less of an issue as time went on, and, you know, people knew how to use the hardware better and new chips got added into the cartridges and things like that. But uh, for sure, yeah, it depends on how good, you know, the, the, the games are on your system and, and what the people making those games can do with the tool set that they're given. But it also just kind of comes down to, hey, what do you as a consumer value? Yeah, the Super Nintendo has like way more color options than the Genesis did. To some extent, you could say like, well, it comes down to what's more important to you, performance or or aesthetics. And and again, like you, you can mitigate the flaws on either of those systems with games made by people who know what they're doing. You know, you can still make a really pretty game on the Genesis and you can still make a very performant game on the Super NES. I mean, this thing here, it is fodder for schoolyard arguments, essentially. So like nothing super serious is happening here, but it just feels like weirdly bad to, to see Nintendo so like directly kind of like 
mask off like marketing to its fans. Like there's something about the tone here that feels off to me in a way that even the like borderline advertorial stuff that Nintendo Power is usually filled with kind of tends not to. Like I, I think that like the thing that is is really odd to me here is the fact that they felt the need to do this at all instead of just focusing on like the things that the Super Nintendo can do that are genuinely unique and cool. And some of the tone here is like very aggressive towards the reader almost. Like there was the perception that the Sega Genesis was the better place for sports games because they had more of them or the sports games on the Genesis were better. So they've got a question here. How come Nintendo doesn't make more sports games? The, the first part of the answer is wake up and go to the store. That's uh, that's a weird way to start that off. But all right. They say that uh, more than 50 sports games uh, have already been released for the Super NES. And I'll be honest, I, I actually tried to sort of put that claim to the test and, and I counted them all up. And I, I do think there were enough to get to 50, but not without including things that weren't, you know, like what you would consider just like like a game about a sport you know, like, you know, you'd have to include things like American Gladiators. And I think I had to include racing games and things like that to actually get up to 50. So I think that's kind of stretching the truth there a little bit. There's also a little bit of, about, you know, which is better, CD-ROM or Super FX, as if that's like... As if that's a valid thing you can compare. Yeah. And again, I think this is sort of getting into... I mean, like, Nintendo would probably be comparing this because they just started adding the Super FX chip to games like Star Fox. And I, I don't know exactly what the timeline was, but this is maybe after the fallout of the deal with sony going south and i mean i feel like it has to be because we're actually only like at this point you know a, a couple of years out from the release of the first playstation i can't imagine they got that together in less than two years you know well and i think that the philips cdi was already a thing and, and there was sort of already this relationship now between nintendo and philips that like there, there was originally this idea i think that philips was going to develop the CD add-on for the Super NES, but that also like the Philips CDI would sort of be like the system you could get those CD experiences on their own without the Super Nintendo connected to it, which is how we end up with like CDI Zelda. Yeah, because they'd already talked a little bit about CD-ROM games like they had talked a little bit about. Um, they talked about the seventh guest. Yeah, the seventh guest, which I think was maybe like the, the only game that they had ever like had a hard plan to bring to a Super Nintendo CD-ROM platform. And I mean, I guess that I also haven't looked at the dates for this, but I assume at this point that the Sega CD was probably out by now because the reference here, the one game they do reference here as a CD game to like compare to Star Fox is Sewer Shark which I know was a, uh, a a Sega CD game. And um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it, honestly a smart one to compare here because it is a shooter and there is no way in which Sewer Shark compares favorably to Star Fox. And I mean, maybe this is why the CD-ROM thing never happened for the Super NES because they saw Sega stretching themselves so thin with all of these add-ons. In this case, it is it, it, it probably was a thing where like Sega turned into sort of like a cautionary tale and like made Nintendo kind of more like strategic about like when they put out new stuff. Speaking of uh, things being stretched too thin, we've got uh, a bunch of Battletoads games coming up here. You sure do. That's a good transition. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, and you know what? Actually, I'm going to say we just turned the page to the the 
start of the Battletoads and Battle Maniacs spread. This is a good piece of art of the Battletoads. This whole picture that takes up the the entire first page here, uh, I think is a very is a very fun drawing. Um, and yeah, uh, also I I don't know if I've ever seen another picture anywhere of the princess that they are supposed to be rescuing. She's cool looking. She looks kind of like a '80s like rocker girl, you know. Um, she's got big hair. Yeah, like if 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 uh, the the dark queen, the antagonist, is like the the femme fatale. She's like the the rocker girl kind of counterpart to that. Yeah, like they almost kind of look similar. I wonder if I wonder if they're supposed to be sisters or something. I don't know. I don't know enough about the Battletoads deep lore. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess I need. To, I guess I need to go back and read that comic actually. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure that's worth a read. <laughs> you watch the the Battletoads cartoon pilot that came out. Oh god, I forgot that was a thing. Uh We'll we'll sit down and watch that with the uh with the cartoon dumpster dive guys and and we'll we'll do that and we'll do Bubsy. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. It'll be a great double feature. Uh no, no. I, I I wouldn't subject them to that. I can't even guess which one of those is worse, honestly. Probably the Bubsy one, but I can't really say. Yeah, I would have to say Bubsy, because at least the Battletoads would almost have to be, like, visually interesting. I would hope so, yeah. Like we were saying, though, like, we do get the sense that this is very much trying to redo the old Nintendo game, but putting a a 16-bit coat of paint on it, which, admittedly, it looks good. It's got a great visual style. It does look good. It's a great-looking game, yeah. So they actually do try to warn about that a little bit here in the magazine. In the the little box beneath the art we were just talking about, it basically says that it's an eight-stage free-for-all that is much like the original NES game. Backgrounds are more richly rendered in the Super Nintendo version. They've added some new major enemies and bonus stages, and the difficulty is definitely there. But it's enough like its NES predecessor that you may want to opt for Battletoads Double Dragon if you're looking for something that's really new. Right at the start here, they're like, yeah, this is kind of the same game you already played, but, you know, it looks a lot nicer. If you were a big fan of the first one, you'd probably still like this one. But also, if you were somebody who could not get past that turbo tunnel in the first one, I would bet you're going to have the same problem here. <laughs> it's, it's here, too. One thing they do note here uh, is the boss of stage one, which is completely different than the the boss of the NES game, which if you remember the NES game, it has a really neat thing with its first stage boss where like you're actually seeing that boss fight from the boss's perspective. And uh, the Toads are having to, like, throw stuff at the screen to, to injure it. Uh, and this is just a big stone pig, which looks really pretty cool. But, you know, obviously would have been beyond what the, the original NES could do. Yeah, but I think it's a bummer that they didn't go with that same kind of thing from the NES. Yeah, no, the original boss is actually much cooler. The, the thing here that I think is remarkable is, uh, like, three double page spreads into this feature on battle maniacs it's the turbo tunnel and they have a full map of the turbo tunnel uh taking up the entire two page spread it is there's 11 rows it's stacked top to bottom and um man i i hate even looking at this this is just a nightmare just seeing it all laid out like this is it is actually making me like angry to see it. <laughs> it's like, how can you possibly expect people to do this? Yeah. You know, like one thing I really did think was strange about the first Battletoads is you've got that 
great first level that you know kind of establishes this as a as a quasi brawler feels really good to play really good animation you never really go back to that no you don't every level is kind of something different but almost none of them even include the brawler gameplay to any degree i think some of the variety is good but i really wish that they had just given the players a few more of those really good brawler levels instead of some of the weird stuff well because the brawler levels are fun like most of this game is like instant deaths for anything you do brawlers kind of by their nature really can't do that or at least they really shouldn't and you know and i understand that like battletoads now has this reputation it's like oh it's a really tough thing that you're gonna have to do a lot of you know weird tasks and different levels in order to to get through it and you know and i think that's fine but i think that mixing that up with some of the more traditional brawler stages would help that franchise a lot and i mean you know, they released that new game that basically is a brawler, right? Um, you know, it's not as much. It, it, once again, it's not as much of a brawler as it seems like it's going to be. Oh, OK. Because um, because basically what that game does is it, it does have a lot more brawler gameplay and like it is much more involved than in, in either of these uh, games that we're talking about here. But also it has significant portions that are like a vertically scrolling shmup. Or a, like, kind of Metroidvania-style side-scroller that doesn't show up until, like, halfway through the game. Oh, interesting. A level that is, like, just, like, you know, endless quick-time events. Okay. Which is not good. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of does the same thing as original Battletoads, but just with fewer things that it sits with for longer. And I, I think that it does at least give you, like a good chunk of brawler gameplay that kind of makes good on some of that original promise of Battletoads in a way that that uh, the original games kind of didn't. <laughs> you know, and like you can see here in the Battle Maniacs thing, they have done some twists on the levels from the original game. Like the second level, the hollow tree, is, the original game's second level is you repelling down this this big shaft. This one, you're on these kind of hover pods, and um, it's it's functionally kind of a similar thing, but it is it is set up a little differently, and uh, it does have kind of a different feel. And then we got the turbo tunnel, and then we do have the snake. That that level is rough. Once again, just a, a brutally difficult, really long thing where you have to be perfect, essentially, in order to, to get through it. I don't know if the Battle Maniacs version is more forgiving or not. Uh, it certainly looks nicer. Everything in this game looks nicer. Uh, moving on, we've got a Jurassic Park poster, which is, you know, kind of simple. I like it, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of do, too. I would, I would have put this up on my wall when I was a kid. And then we have... More Battletoads. Yeah, we do. Uh, we got, got Battletoads on Game Boy, which, uh, like I said before, looks very much just like the NES game, but, you know, on Game Boy. And uh, I don't know if I've got much more else to say about it than that. No, I, you know, one thing I did find out that, you know, separate from this that's kind of strange is this is actually the second Battletoads game for the Game Boy. Oh, is it? The original Battle... Yeah, because like, they made one before this that was just called Battletoads, and that was an original game. That was not a port of the NES game. And then they made this one, which is called Battletoads in Ragnarok's World, which is a port of the NES game. If you want to play the Battletoads game that is the same as the one on the NES, don't play the one called Battletoads, which is weird. 
Yeah, that is weird. All right, well. There's also a turbo tunnel here. It does not look as severe, but it probably is hard because it's on the Game Boy. Yeah, that, that probably would have been before we had, like, the Game Boy Pocket, which would have been, you know, which would have had that cleaner screen. This is the, the pea soup colored blurry screen that you have to do all yeah, this Yeah, I, I can't imagine actually trying to do the turbo tunnel on that. Interestingly enough, it looks like they've even got, like, a warp on the turbo tunnel in roughly the same place that it was in on the NES. Oh, indeed, yeah. Well, I don't have anything else about uh, Battletoads and Game Boy, do you? I do not. All right. Well, good, because now we get, we get to talk about Battletoads on the NES. And they brought their friends, the Double Dragons. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad they're all together, finally, after this is really what we wanted for so long. Get that art again that was in the, uh, that was, a version of it was in the poster from uh, a little while ago. And it looks better here because it's not as stretched out. Yeah, it's it's laid out in a way that's comprehensible. <laughs> this might be the first Battletoads game where you get to play as any of the three Toads. One of them is not kidnapped in this It's one. It's kind of what you would expect. It's a brawler that's a mashup of stuff from Battletoads and stuff from... Double Dragon, you're going to fight on top of a spaceship, and then a Bobo's there for some reason. He needed a job, and this was one for him. And I believe that this walkthrough does go through the entire game. Uh, the, this game is only like six stages long. It goes through the, the various levels. It points out kind of where hazards are and tries to give you advice on certain things that could be troublesome here. It's a little lighter on details in some parts than others, but the thing that is notable here is that this Battletoads Double Dragon game is just a brawler, like pretty much all the way through. I think it's got like one level that is a shmup, but for the most part, this thing is what it says on the tin. Well, it does do some of the stuff like it's got a repelling section, but that's in the context of a larger level that has brawling areas in it. Right, which I think it would have been better for the original Battletoads game, honestly. Again, this is what I'm talking about. The brawler is your bread and butter. Like, put that stuff throughout the game, put all the other stuff in, you know, in in short spurts just to mix things up. We will be talking about a Battletoads and Double Dragon game eventually. I think it's going to be more or less a, a pretty straight port from the NES version. I think it's pretty much this, yeah. I don't know about the art in this section. Uh, the the totes themselves are a lot more uh, cartoonish looking here than they were in the other ones. And uh, uh, there's there's a particular image of uh, one of them hitting a bird that he just looks like the Joker right here. Well, it's also interesting that like they've kind of left out the details on the toad that would really let you know which one it is. I guess it has to be Zitz, because I think he's the one who wears gloves. What do you think about this border that's uh, that's around all of the Battletoads pages? Uh, this kind of not a hell of a green, whole lot. Green. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I guess it helps to note that this is all one section. Not super attractive. I guess it's a, going for like a, a frog skin sort of texture. I think is what it's doing there. Yeah, I think that's it. Random greens and blues with black splotches. So I guess that must be what they were going for there. Hey, speaking of frogs. Or toads. Or toads, yeah. Uh, I guess that transition doesn't work as well. Um, but the Star Fox comic is next. Uh, Star Fox, Act 5, Fixing a Hole, which I think is another Beatles reference. Yep, that is another Sergeant Pepper's reference, in fact. Okay, there we go, yeah. Yeah, this picks up right where the previous issue left off with everyone heading into the black hole. 
Yep, uh, so Fox and Farah, last time they were all like, hey, we're going to take these R-Wings and we're going to go into that black hole, even if everybody else says, no, we're not doing that, except that, like... They were going to do it! ...was actually going to do it, so it's kind of silly, but um, but that's all right. We we reunite the Star Fox team pretty quickly here, and we also see that, that Peppy and Slippy have to share an R-Wing now. Yeah, because Farah stole Slippy's R-Wing, I guess. Yeah, there's some some good kind of psychedelic art of them going through the black hole. Yeah, it's gorgeous, actually. It's some really cool stuff there. And also interesting that they've got this whole plot point where Fox sees an image of his dad who guides him through the black hole safely. Right. And I have to think that, like, because I don't think that had anything to do with the original Star Fox game. No, I don't think so. In Star Fox 64, the climax there, Fox's dad guides him out of the the Venom base as it's exploding in a very similar way. And it makes me wonder if, like, the creators of that game maybe took inspiration from this comic. I I kind of was thinking the same thing. It's really interesting how close it is. Uh, We also have a really good panel here of a giant fox head floating in space and the R-wing below him just being like, Father? Yep. <laughs> but explosion? Oh, yeah. I guess the whole thing is like because they're going through the black hole, their communications are getting warped. So like their speech is, is like yeah. dragging on and things like that. Uh, but it's a really cool image. And yeah, this this whole part of the comic is very neat. Yeah. And I think that continues on the next page, too, because um, like, especially on uh, the page after that, where we get this just gorgeous panel of a space battle happening. Yeah, I love the colors there. Like, it's so cool. Like, this entire page is gorgeous, but that panel in particular is amazing. Oh, God, this is such a pretty comic, you guys. You, you really... You should look at the images of this, yeah. Like, go on Internet Archive... Yeah, find the first half of the Nintendo Power issues from 1993 and just look at these comics. They are really good looking. Yeah, so everybody follows Fox and Farah through the black hole, uh, and they all make it to Venom. And then it's kind of time for the final showdown with Andros. Yeah, which feels sudden. And here's where this one starts to disappoint me a little bit, because it feels like they were really rushing to the end and just trying to get this story done, because I'll be honest, I feel like this could have used one more issue to wrap things up. I agree, yeah. We just get some stuff with Andros, we see everybody attacking the base, Um, Fox goes in alone, because of course he does, and then there's just, like, there's this kind of a side where Peppy and Slippy discover a robot pig that has a bunch of information that's going to help them. And they talk about how they found one of them earlier, as if this was a plot point that I I certainly don't remember. Do you? Uh, No, no, I I don't either. I guess this pig is the they say he's the the data bank and the power source for the base. That's convenient. Yeah, right. I wouldn't put all those things together um, and in a thing that can't really defend itself. But Peppy just like murks this pig. Like, just kills it. And that uh, shuts down Andross's force field on his big floating polygon face, which allows Fox to blast the hell out of him. And it ends pretty much the same way that the game does. So uh, really quick, I want to talk about the the polygon face, because like that might be one of like these standout images from the original Star Fox. Uh, what did you think of the representation representation of that here? 
I mean, it's a little disappointing, isn't it? Like, it doesn't even get, like, a large, like, half-page panel, you know? Like, it's a big one, but it's still kind of crammed in with a bunch of other stuff. It just, it just doesn't look that cool. I don't know. I think maybe this just goes towards the whole, like, if this had more time, like, we would have gotten a better introduction of that thing. Right. We don't even really get an explanation for what it is or, like, why Andros is suddenly inside this cube inside it. Like, it's just, it's just like, okay, it's time to have some imagery from the game here so we can wrap this thing up in, like, a page. Fox destroys the weird Andros polygon face encounters and destroys the second form of Andros from the game, and then the comic ends all in two pages. I don't know, I feel like like ending the comic as Fox encounters the giant head while, you know, like maybe letting, um, you know, giving more space for uh, Slippy and Peppy to do their thing, yeah. to, to help shut everything down, like to set that up, and then doing all of that in one last comic, you know, would have really given the story more time to breathe and and yeah it's a shame that it ended this way this is a real shame for as much as i liked large parts of this comic this is just a really weak way for it to wrap up maybe steve or what whatever his name was from player's pulse who said he felt the comics were too long had an influence on this they were like oh guys uh hey we need to wrap this one up steve says it's going too long so (laughs) thanks a lot steve yeah i hope he felt bad about that So, yeah, I mean, you know, again, beautiful comic. I think for the most part, this comic was a lot of fun and really good, but it just over too, too fast. It it needed, it needed a little bit more time. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in and stops my mind from wandering. Well, that takes us to uh, some controllers, peripherals. Yeah, uh, big feature, uh, four pages here. On all of these different kinds of additional kind of unusual controllers you can get for the Super Nintendo. You've seen most of any of these uh, in the wild? Um, I had the SN Pro Pad on on the first page there. Um, I actually owned one of those. Okay. Um, it was okay. It was a pretty decent turbo controller that had also like a, a slow-mo feature, which was just basically like a turbo pause button. Right, yeah. Uh, so as long as that game mapped pause to the start button, it would mostly work as a slow-mo thing. Um, I did not know there was a Super Advantage controller. Yeah, I remember, I knew this thing existed, but I've never seen it. Like, it certainly wasn't, like, ubiquitous the way that the original Advantage was. Ugh, that button layout on that. How do you put the L and R buttons on different sides of the, the primary... I contro- don't know. That's terrible. Like, you can't play a fighting game like that. That must have come out before Street Fighter established the six-button fighting game thing, because uh, that's just a bad layout. That's a bad layout. That's a real shame, because that, that looks like a real spiffy controller otherwise. That's a really good-looking joystick. Absolutely, but yeah, it's just unfortunate. No, the um the other one that's down in the middle of the, the first page here, the fighter power stick, that looks like it would be a way better thing to play Street Fighter with. Yeah, but it also looks uglier. It looks it looks much uglier, but it's actually made by Capcom and it, it seems like that's the button layout you would want for if basically if the if the Super Advantage had that what it had the fighter power sticks um button layout, it would be fine. I also wonder if that was actually the color scheme that they went with because it's actually got like the blue, green, red, and yellow buttons uh, that the Famicom uh, or the Super Famicom controller would have had instead of the 
the lavender and purple that we got. I feel like I knew somebody that had the ASCII pad here. I think it, it did actually still have the four colored buttons like that. The turbo switches on there match the color buttons. Maybe they felt like it was a good idea to keep them the same color. But yeah, um, also a little bit about the Miracle piano teaching system, which we touched on back in the day, but I don't have a good way of, of emulating that one, so we haven't talked about it. I don't think anybody really does, but it's interesting uh, to see it here because it does seem like a really niche product. It's also interesting to see them displaying controllers made by third parties, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, we got the Super Scope, we got the mouse, we've got uh, another joystick up there that looks kind of weird. I got one that I the Super L5, is this supposed to be like a one-handed controller? Because that would be kind of neat. That's what they say, actually, yeah. So these ones here on the last page, these are all Japanese ones that have not come out in America at this point. Some of them did actually come out here. But uh, yeah, the Super L5, they say, is designed specifically for role-playing games, which did not need as many button inputs for the most part. And yeah, it's a one-handed controller. Basically, it had two buttons on the top, and it had toggle switches for what those buttons mapped to. Interesting. Okay. That's an interesting device. I wonder how well that actually works in practice. Me too. I'm not sure about it. There's also the XE1SFC. Uh, Which looks like a nightmare, yeah. It's got a button layout that's almost a bit reminiscent of what the GameCube controller would look like years later. You know, that's that's true, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Because, yeah, it's, this is another joystick, and it has kind of a, a central area where it has the four face buttons. And then it has, yeah, kind of like the GameCube, uh, these sort of two curved buttons on either side of it, uh, on either side of that, that sort of central part, I guess could be for the, the L and R buttons. But yeah, the, uh, the XE, uh, one SFC, uh, seems like a really fancy one. It had 14 buttons as well as a little LCD screen that displays various game modes and data bank options. So, yeah, this was like a very serious device. I wonder what that even worked with. I wonder if that was like working with some like weird Satellaview thing or something. Then we got the Power Players Challenge. Um, I... Not really anything super new here, honestly. Yeah, except still doing stuff for Solstice, which I don't think is out yet. <laughs> I don't think so either. So, yeah, real weird that that's still showing up here. Let's see, we got some stuff for... Sim Earth and Spider-Man and the X-Men and Best of the Best and, uh, oh, hey, the secret area in Star Fox that has the really weird alternate ending where apparently Fox and the crew just get lost in space. Yeah, <laughs> where they just get lost. And, uh, oh, hey, passwords for On the Ball. Remember that one? I do, yeah. Uh, kind of nice to have passwords for that because that had a, a lot of levels and some of them were not that fun to play. Yeah, got stuff for Gradius. We got stuff for Sky Kid and Bump and Jump. Yeah, I, th I think that was like a top-down driving game for the NES, I think. In fact, I think that might have been like a port of an old arcade game, uh, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I could be wrong on that. I'm probably not going to research it later, so... <laughs> take that with the same grain of salt that you would take Nintendo telling you that their consoles are way superior to the competition scientifically. <laughs> Uh, hey, Bubble Bobble Part 2. Bubble Bobble had a lot of sequels that were very different games. Yes, uh, that's definitely true. Um, I haven't played this one, but it looks pretty good. Um, this is for the Game Boy. And yeah, uh, this one has some fun. It looks like different like variations on 
uh, the kind of bubbles uh, you can use. Well, when I typically think of sequel to Bubble Bobble, I think of I think it was called Rainbow Islands, which plays very differently than Bubble Bobble. This looks like it's taking the Bubble Bobble gameplay and putting it in the context of a 2D, you know, kind of run and jump platform game. Platform game, sort of. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Good art in this section. Uh, There's a picture of an enemy trapped in a bubble here that they reuse a couple of times. And uh, it's it's wacky as hell. It looks different enough that I think that one might might be a, a, an actual Nintendo Power piece. And then the main header image for this one is... Probably the box art. Yeah. I also like that it's Bubble Bobble Part 2. Like, Bubble Bobble is this, like, epic story that is continuing on. Yeah, next on Fox, Titus. <laughs> I remember that show. Yeah, me too. Um, no, this is completely different from that. Yeah, Titus the Fox next up. And, uh, God, I hate looking at this guy. This is um, made by a company called Titus, I believe a French company. And I think we will be talking about them when we get to a little game called Artie Lightfoot. I think that's right. I think, isn't Titus the company that would ultimately go on to release the infamous uh, Superman 64? You know, I'm not sure about that. I would have to look that one up. But yeah, this is their, like, mascot mascot platformer. They made a, a platform game about the fox that is in their logo. Yeah, and so I, I looked up Wikipedia really quick, and, and there weren't, like, a lot of reliable sources cited here. So, you know, again, this might not be entirely accurate. But what it sounded like is that the franchise of Titus the Fox started out as sort of like a, a mascot platformer for a French comedian. Okay. And then when they brought it to America, they decided to just put their company mascot in there because obviously we wouldn't know who the hell this French guy was. I see. Okay. You know what? That would make more sense than them just randomly being like, you know what? The like completely undetailed Fox head that's in our logo. That could be, that could be a mascot. Let's just make a game about that. I mean, everybody had to have one around this time, so... This game looks like it might be okay. I can't really tell from... It's a platformer. Apparently allowed for two-player simultaneous play if you had a link cable and another person with a Game Boy, which is, I guess, kind of unusual for this time period. Yeah, I wonder if Bubble Bobble did that, too, because, like, that was a big deal for original Bubble Bobble was, you know, this is a co-op game. Gotta have the bubble and the bobble at the same time. But yeah, I don't like the way this fox looks. I think he looks, he's like a sub Bubsy quality mascot. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with you there. And in fact, it looks like just the same drawing, you know, like with one exception. Yeah, with one exception, there's like the same drawing. They've zoomed in on him in one case, they've flipped it for another one. And then there is a third image that is, is actually a new drawing that is is worse in some ways actually but yeah I, I would almost hope that like nintendo power artists could have done a better job with this had they had you know like more time this one might have been just like a late edition like hey this is what we're gonna have it in there make a two-page thing about it and here's the art assets for it so right because I'm, I'm gonna guess that that header image is the box art again but i i don't know for sure and i've never even heard of titus the fox before i was you know doing research for this thing so <laughs> And because there was a show called Titus on Fox, that kind of messes up the SEO a little bit, too. So. A little bit, yeah. Hey, 
Raging Fighter. It's a fighting game on Game Boy. Yeah, it's not a great sign. It looks all right, though. Yeah, it looks okay for a Game Boy fighting game. I can't imagine it's very easy to do a, a good fighting game with two buttons. No, eventually SNK would figure it out for the Neo Geo Pocket. But yeah, until then, uh, nobody really figured out how to do a good two-button fighting game. This probably isn't secretly the game that cracked it, like, years years prior. Probably not. But, I don't know. I've just never heard of this one before, honestly. I don't know. There were just so many generic fighters around this time that maybe I'm getting it mixed up with something else, but I I thought that this was in one of those um, features in, in a past issue where they just were talking about a lot of different fighting games, you know, one right after another. It, it, it could have been, yeah. I can't remember. So maybe there was like an NES version of this, too. It seems like it would be a little strange for there to just be a Game Boy version of this. Yeah, there's a little thing here where they kind of detail the different characters. There's seven of them. Most of them look very similar to me. Yeah. You know, they all have the kind of like 80s, like Fist of the North Star looking, you know, tough anime dude vibe going on. Yeah. Uh, There's a little thing here showing what their different strength and like agility ratings are. That's kind of it for this one. Not amazing. Yeah. Uh, Then we get to uh, Counselor's Corner where we got some tips for Prince of Persia. And Bart's Nightmare. The Bart's Nightmare tips do kind of remind me that that game had some neat, almost systemic stuff happening in its overworld that I wish was better implemented. Yeah, yeah. I just wish they had made a better game. (laughs) Yeah, all around, really. There's some cool ideas and and great presentation, but it's not a very good game. You know, I guess my my question for Todd Gardner here is, uh, why am I playing this game? Can you please stop (laughs) me from playing this game? Can you take this game away from me so I don't have to play it anymore? Uh, let's see, we also got Quirk for Game Boy, which looks like a, a, a so- Sokuban-like sort of puzzle game. It does, yeah. And then we got a Star Trek game for the NES. Yeah, I don't think I knew about this one. I'm guess, I, I think this is based on original Star Trek. Yeah, because it mentions like Spock and McCoy in here. I don't know, it seems like it's kind of an adventure game. Like it's, It looks like the, the advice they're giving here is all about how to get various items to use to make stuff happen. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like I think that's probably the right way to go about a star trek game nine times out of ten i agree yeah we have something kind of interesting next uh it is a very stripped down step-by-step walkthrough for an nes like strategy rpg called destiny of an emperor yeah i thought that this was like one of those toei games but apparently this one was actually made by capcom yeah and it doesn't really have much in the way of pictures it has a couple here but mostly it is literally like a 30 step a 31 step walkthrough yeah for how to how to progress in this game like almost more like what you'd find on like game facts or something yeah and and i i think this is kind of neat i remember they printed something like this for star tropics and that was finally how i managed to beat that game that would be very useful for star tropics definitely i think we'll see more of these going forward i I think they'll start doing one per issue or maybe it's just a once in a while thing i don't remember but i like stuff like this that just kind of like like hey here we're gonna break down this game for you so like some of these you know, bigger, older games feel, you know, more approachable to, to people coming at them years after the fact. There's a there's a cool YouTube channel called like, uh, I think it's called like You Can Beat Games or something like that, where he does kind of a similar thing where he goes through a lot of older games and hey, cool. really breaks them down for folks who want to beat them for the first time, maybe who haven't gone back to those games in a very long time. So nice. That is very that's very cool. Yeah. 
Uh, then we get Nestor's Adventures, and it's uh, it's a weird one actually this time. <laughs> Batman Returns themed, and Nestor is a superhero as well. He's Random Access Man. Yep. It's a computer joke. He can only hold one instruction in his head at any one time. This is the most I've enjoyed one of these, okay. even though it's still not good, really. But we get a like a an old-timey like radio announcer explaining Random Access Man's, I guess, power, really. It's more just like a limitation. <laughs> right. And then Batman comes up to him. He tells him to use the cape attack whenever a heart is in the area. And then Catwoman shows up and there's a big heart behind her. He says, use the cape now. And Catwoman's like, don't listen to Batman. And the combination of these two instructions breaks Nestor's brain. And then Batman and Catwoman walk off laughing together. Yeah, apparently like they just wanted to get rid of him. They just wanted to get rid of Nestor, which, you know, fair. Uh, you guys are the only reasonable people that have ever been in one of these comics. I mean, Nintendo Power themselves will be getting rid of Nestor before too much longer, I think. So uh, they aren't the only ones who wanted to get rid of him. To be fair, like, you know, the original artist who used to do Howard and Nestor has probably been long gone from the comic. The person Howard from Howard and Nestor was based on is left to Nintendo uh, a while ago yep. at this point. I think you know, we'll, we'll see this in just a little bit, too. But, you know... Nestor has kind of had to go through a lot of artistic changes just because the original person who drew him isn't around anymore. So it's probably it's kind of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like Nintendo Power probably has to be thinking at this point, like, yeah, why do we still why are we still keeping this character around? Yeah. Like nobody likes this thing on any level. <laughs> uh, in any case, we've got power puzzlers, um, just like a weird puzzle thing where it's like, hey, here's a clue. Look for this in the magazine and then enter the word in there and take these letters out of the words and I'll form a secret message. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Fire and Ice, that's a puzzle platformer thing on the NES that. Uh, yep. Uh, you know, neat, neat. Apparently was a Taito Tecmo game. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, cool enough art here. Uh, it's neat. I don't know if that's, again, you know, game art or Nintendo Power art. Yeah, I really can't tell with this very simple style. There's kind of a neat thing here where apparently this game, uh, which is kind of like a, a puzzle platformer, it had a level editor. Oh, that is neat. And they give you a couple of example levels that Nintendo Power made and task you with with creating them on your own, in your own level editor on the, the game and, you know, getting through them. So that's kind of a neat thing. That is really cool. Yeah, I, I like NES games that have level editors, and I like it even better when you don't, need an accessory that never made it to America in order to use that level editor. Yeah. Um, then we've got um, NES hockey. Um, it's, it's hockey. There's pictures of hockey equipment there. We got two hockey games they're profiling here. Pro Sport Hockey and Hit the Ice, which is a game we actually did cover the Super Nintendo version of. They're kind of trying to pit these games against each other a little bit, but they're just so different that like there's not really any way to do that. So they mostly just end up talking about like what you do in these games. And one of them is a very semi hockey game and one of them is a very cartoony, arcadey one. Well, I was just talking about the the weird Nestor art in some of these more recent issues. Um, we got some really weird Nestor art here. God, I hate the art in this section so much. Yeah. Like, it is incredible. I'm I'm sure whoever it was was doing their best with the, the Nestor character, but... It's rough. Yeah, like these weird, thick outlines. It's, it's, it's very odd. I, I'm not crazy about it either. Um... Yeah, this is Nestor's Father's Day Challenge. Games, I guess you can play with your dad. Yeah, it's just some good good old dad games. Uh, 
mostly sports, all two-player. And then there's little bits of accompanying art of Nestor and his dad, who his dad looks like a grown-up version of Nestor, and they both look awful in this art. The the picture of Nestor that's like right at the start of it, where he's kind of on like a three-quarters turn talking to his dad, is one of the worst pieces of art I've seen in this magazine. He's got this weird chin that makes him look like a weird, creepy doll. I don't like it. Like his eyes are kind of tiny and really heavy, really like set in really far on his face. So he kind of looks like one of those like, like the photo manipulations of like Channing Tatum or whatever, where somebody like shrunk his face down to make it like really tiny in the middle of his head. Okay, headcanon here. This is Nestor all grown up. He's he's a lonely man. And now he's imagining him being friends with this child version of himself. Ah, uh, okay. That looks like a doll because this is this is his only friend now. Is is this this kid he remembers from from happier times when he got to be the mascot of a of a major video game publication? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm. I'm in, I mean, I. You know what? This might have saved it for him. This <laughs> level of pathos. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so we've got sports, we got Dr. Mario, which I will say, like, Dr. Mario was one of the games that my mom used to play. My parents used to play Dr. Mario together all the time. Like, that was, like, a thing they would do, like, every night for, like, years, was play Dr. Mario with each other. We've also got Rampart here, which, that's an interesting poll. I think it makes sense. I think it's kind of a better better choice than just, like, a whole bunch of different sports games. But we still got some of those, too. We got... Uh, I have an Iron Man Stewart Super Off-Road. Yeah, which I think was just Super Off-Road on the Super NES. But and you know what? That That's a reasonable pick. I, you know, I think the, the barrier to entry on that one is pretty low. And, it you know, it's a universal enough thing that you could probably get most folks who aren't normally gamers into that. So I uh, also got the Chess Master here, which I don't know. Can you guys just play chess? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just just play a game of chess with your dad instead of making him sit through this thing. Don't make your dad listen to the chess master music. Don't who who would do such an awful thing as to just make somebody listen to the chess master music. Uh player's poll, there's a wrestling thing, SummerSlam, uh, whatever that is. Uh one thing that's, uh, I think, a little notable here is that when they did the thing in the last issue where people wrote in to suggest players poll things, I think this was actually one of the ones that somebody suggested. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. So that is kind of cool because, like, I'm sure they didn't do it because of that. But, you know, I, I think it's cool that this was actually a thing that was, like, kind of on the table for them. Um, but, yeah, a uh, trip to, to SummerSlam uh, to see bunch of these wrestling guys most of which i do recognize because this was when i was a kid and these guys were just like everywhere like as somebody who cares zero about wrestling i can also identify most of them because you just kind of have to learn this stuff through cultural osmosis and i guess this probably means we're going to be getting that royal rumble game before too long as well which i i, I want to say i think is actually a pretty decent wrestling game yeah, I, I kind of remember that one being, from my knowledge of it, I think that one's pretty good. Uh, we get the top 20. Um, I don't know if we need to dive into this too much. Is there anything that stuck out here to you? It hasn't really changed much at all uh, since last time, so no, not really. Um, oh, hey, Spider-Man and the X-Men and Arcade's Revenge are at number 14 somehow. On there. Hey, all right. Good for them. Um, 
Then we got now playing, we've got Battletoads and Battle Maniacs, we've got Yoshi's Cookie, we've got the Terminator, which we talked about not too long ago. Yep, uh, which they have a baffling uh, thing they say here in the Terminator one, where their one negative point for it is power players may find the challenge level to be too low. And it's like, really? What game were you playing? Like, <laughs> that that was one where, like, we didn't get for being, like, unplayably hard. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I also don't remember much about that game, because honestly, it's another running gun shooter. Yeah, it's not very memorable. Uh, we got Family Dog, which is a weird one, because I think this was based off of a uh, short-lived cartoon. Yep, uh, it was a cartoon based on a very successful segment from the uh, anthology show Amazing Stories. Ah. They turned it into a cartoon that was not very good or very well-liked, and uh, there was a big marketing push around it that resulted in a video game as well. So we'll get to that pretty soon, actually, I think. Yeah, yeah. That might be another one to talk about with the Cartoon Dumpster Dive folks. They haven't already covered that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, Family Dog, not to be confused with Bad Dog, which was a short-lived cartoon based on a screensaver. Wow. I didn't know about that. Yep. That was a thing. Uh, let's see. We got uh, Kawasaki Caribbean. I... I can't say there's there as norm mcdonald once said on snl there's two ways to say that word and i pronounced neither <laughs> uh kawasaki caribbean challenge uh which is another top-down racing game which i i think we've played i think we played back in the the video days of us doing the show and back in the youtube days yeah didn't like it that much maybe it'll make a better impression this time i don't know uh we got bob who uh you know i've, I've got i'm not gonna say high hopes for but i am i am looking forward to trying it out i'm intrigued yeah we've got utopia which i'm not sure if this game came out under that name off the top of my head i'm no yeah maybe it did but i don't recognize it i'm sure we will find out eventually uh wolf child which um i don't know how far we'll away that one actually is from our list but uh i do know that game is coming up at some point uh we got operation logic bomb a lot of a lot of really out there titles today that i ba- barely remember though I, I am fairly certain that one also did come out um as did evo super james pond tasmania which we already talked about super caesar's palace which i, I still upcoming yeah anything interesting here uh, not too terribly much. I mean, I can't really say I'm looking forward to Super James Pond, but, you know, maybe it's okay. I have played a little bit of Operation Logic Bomb because it's one of the games that's inexplicably on the Nintendo Switch online service. It's not bad. It's kind of a strange one, you know, top-down shooter with some inscrutable storytelling. So that would be kind of interesting to get to. Uh, but yeah, nothing, nothing else much really, really pops out at me from these. Hearing that, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to Operation Logic Bomb. I can, I can get down with that sort of stuff. Yeah, we got Buster Brothers coming out on Game Boy. We've already talked about that one on the Super NES. And of course, we got our Battletoads games there. Yep. That's the only NES title coming out right now, uh, as of uh, June. 1993. I think we've still got another year or so of NES titles coming out, but I, I think that's going to start, you know, drying up here pretty soon. It's it's definitely slowing to a trickle. 
anything else or should we move on to pack watch let's move on to pack watch let's move on to pack watch we got bugs bunny animator i believe this game would come out as acme animation studio i think is what they end up calling it yeah okay so i was like i'm pretty sure a game called bugs bunny animator never never ended up coming out we got tough enough tough enough yeah hey punk are you tough enough Got to say it with that that e really enunciated in there. Else it doesn't work. Um, is this in the um, the rushing beat series or is this a different thing by Jalico? This one looks like it's actually like a one on one fighting game. I originally thought this was in the rushing beat series, but I think this is actually just something separate. It looks okay. I mean, it, it probably isn't great, but you know, we'll see when we get to it. Yeah, and then we've got uh, MVP football, which sort of is the. Uh, Harbinger of the fact that eventually we are going to have to do a um, sports desk episode about football for 93. And And it's going to have like eight games in it. Yeah, I think there are entirely too many of them, but uh, we will get there when we get there. Yeah. Uh, We got Super Slapshot, which we have already talked about because we've already covered hockey for 93. Uh, We got PTO. Uh, which is not paid, paid time, time off. off. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we went exactly the same place immediately. We sure did. No, this is um, a real time strategy. Uh, yeah, it's a it's Pacific Theater of Operations. So it's a it's a strategy game. I can't actually tell from this whether it's real time or turn based, but. Oh, it's probably it's probably turn based, actually. I, I don't even know why I said real time. That's not what I meant. We've got uh, Nigel Mansell's Racing. And we've got something called Dungeon Master, which I'm not sure this came out or if it... I don't know that this came out, yeah. Yeah, or if it did, it might have um, gotten a different name. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just not familiar to me, like the look of it or the name. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to uh, do a little research on that one, but I, I'm not sure that one ever made it over here. Uh, then we get, let's see, we got, um, oh wait, an NES version of Pugsley's Scavenger Hunt. Or no, uh, oh yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's an NES version. I bet it's even better than the version we played. Uh, also, an NES version of Jurassic Park. Both of those games made by Ocean, so I'm sure they were both slam dunks. I, I, I don't think uh, Jurassic Park has ever been the subject of any popular internet personalities, uh, rage-filled rants. <laughs> no, it's been very lucky in that in that respect, that, uh, you know, people just love those games so much that uh, no one would ever get angry about them. We got Spider-Man 3 on Game Boy, and then we just got a, a fun little thing about uh, just a whole bunch of stuff coming up. We got Rock and Roll Racing, which is exciting. We've got um, Clay Fighter. That'll be an interesting thing to talk about. And we've got Super Mario All-Stars, which I am super looking forward to because, damn, that collection was amazing back in the day. Yeah. Uh, one other really big game here getting uh, getting talked about, Super Metroid. Which, uh, this has got to be the first time it's been mentioned in the magazine, right? I can't remember. If it has been mentioned, it, it, we certainly didn't see any screenshots or anything like that. I think I would have remembered that. It's a ways out at this point, to be fair. But yeah. Yeah, and there's not even actually a screenshot here. Um, there's screenshots for some other stuff. Even on the um, the list of future games for the Super NES, I don't even see Super Metroid on there yet. Probably because they didn't know when it was coming out yet. And yeah, I think we do still have like another full calendar year until that game comes out. So that's really early for them to be talking about it here. The next issue will have Bubsy, we'll have Royal Rumble, we'll have uh, Link's Awakening, which I feel like we've already talked about in the context of Nintendo Power, but I... I think we have, but it's on the cover for next one. 
So that's the big that's the big deal spread for that one. Yeah, that's right. Um, next issue is going to be uh, the 50th issue of Nintendo Power. So that'll, that's actually going to be kind of a big milestone for them. That'll be good. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be a really exciting one to talk about. That's that's probably going to have a lot of extra features and stuff. Be prepared for an even longer one of these. When, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> when we get to July. But that's pretty much the issue. We got a little bit about uh, Mario Paint Player's Guide coming soon. Um, but that wraps it up for June of 1993, Nintendo Power. And uh, June is going to be a big month for us because not only do we have a, a pretty good amount of games to cover, but we will be hitting our 200th game on the list. And we've got something kind of fun in the works. I don't want to say too much about that just yet because I'm still planning stuff. But yeah, uh, hopefully we'll have something fun for our uh, 200 game special. So please look forward to that. And I guess that's going to do it. I, I guess there's nothing else to talk about other than what's going to be happening next time. Yeah. What are we, what are we covering next time as we jump into June, 1993? Well, I've been saying this whole time that I think BOB Bob is going to be in the next episode. Let me see if I am correct about that. Uh, yes, it is going to be Bob as well as battle totes and battle maniacs and, Kakoma Night in Busyland, which I'm not sure we've talked about before at all. I don't think so. I'm not even entirely sure what that is. Nope, me either. Well, uh, we hope you join us for that, and uh, I hope those games are good. I'm looking forward to trying them out, certainly. And um, yeah, until next time, I'm Any Zero. I'm Steampunk Link. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Ugh, you smell like meatballs!